you know, I, I haven't had I haven't had one of these yet that didn't have some weird technical difficulty going on. So, you know, it is it is very, very common. Like I've you know, and, and actually, even when I was in corporate America, I would say that, like, the first part of almost every meeting was like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? You <laughs> yeah. know, and, and like just a bunch of bullshit. And, and then but like everyone was using the same equipment, too. So, I mean, like that was that was like the best possible situation (laughs) you know and and we still have problems oh god everyone i am suspiciously malevolent kennedy and this is chaos magic news um we have an amazing guest when i first started doing these interviews allison chikowski was one of the first people i actually wanted to get on not because she's someone that's particularly relevant to chaos magic but she's just someone that i have to think is arguably one of the better magicians still popping around in the occultosphere Allison is a scholar and a practitioner of a very varied form of thought majority and with a focus on results-based magic, which is something we all, of course, love here in the Chaos Magic community. Her most recent book is The Secrets of Helios, Unlocking the Practical Uses of PGM 4, 1596 to 1715, published by Hadeen Press. While especially interested in both Solomonic magic and the Greco-Egyptian magic of the Greek magical papyri, she is also well-versed in soul fighting and psychic magic of various kinds. She also is the founder and the main force behind Practical Occult. PracticalOccult.com provides pentacles, other enchanted items, and has drawn in a broad background of rigorous studied ancient arts, leveraging the systems of the past for practical modern use. Allison, how are you doing? Hey, I'm I'm great today. Awesome. That's good to hear. We haven't had one of these that hasn't started with a little bit of roughness yet, but so I'm I'm just assuming that's the natural form of it, but we're absolutely tickled to have you here. I mean, legitimately, you were I think the second person I when I was like, "All right, who could I possibly interview?" It was like, "Oh, let's see if Allison will talk to me." thanks yeah well i mean you're in particular the way that we met i think is part of why i wanted to have you on because we actually met just you know popping around the various you know occult and magic based groups and the first thing i remember ever seeing from you was just asking chaos magicians like what the hell they are actually doing which i thought was (laughs) incredibly amusing because of course none of them have good answers We've started most of our interviews so far by asking this question, and it's I have to ask you a variation on it because I know your answer would be, well, you shouldn't actually. So what we've been asking people starting off with is why should you care about chaos magic? So I think I'm going to just twist that for you slightly and just say, why should you care about magic today? Well, 
okay, so I live in the United States, um, as as you also do, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like I feel like it's important to have magic because uh, our country is maybe not fully functional, right? In some <laughs> respects. So, so for example, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in another country earlier today, and we were talking about healing magic. And it's, it's something that I do, but it's something that I would do less of if we had healthcare, if, if everyone had access to healthcare in our country, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's, 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 it's like magic is to fill needs for me. You know, that's why, that's why I'm looking for practical magic that gets results and that can, can do things. Right. So, so for example, I worked in corporate America for a long time. And I grew up thinking that if you just did a good job, you'd get promoted and be successful. And, you know, everybody in my generation was told, you know, oh, here's, here's the path to career success. Uh, And, and that's not really true, right? Like you can, you can do a great job and never get noticed. Uh, I mean, I, I did get noticed because I have magic, but uh, I would see, I would see people that were hard workers and you know just all around great people get laid off or passed over and things like that. So it really is for me like sometimes you need an edge, and that's why I'm I'm into practical results. You know, I know I know a lot of folks are into the mental part of of uh, what they call magic you know, where they're, they're here, like, how do I, how do I be more confident or how do I work through trauma or things like that? And for me, that's, that's psychology. Uh, and, and I totally approve of it. You know, I, I definitely, I have a therapist. Um, I recommend, you know, me and people get therapy if they can, but for me, that sort of stuff is completely separate from what I do. Right. I mean, that was, um, we had a conversation um, on the podcast a little bit ago where we were discussing the psych model of magic that a lot of chaos magic people end up subscribing to. And, you know, the, the consensus I ended up coming to on it was that, yes, there's a place for that sort of thing in magic. But on the other hand, most of what people are trying to do with magic if they have some sort of, you know, therapeutic aspect of it could be better served by, you know, like you said, just getting a therapist of some kind or, you know, studying some sort of psychology. And I completely understand, uh, you know, and support people doing whatever they can to make themselves well, because uh, therapy is unaffordable and inaccessible for a lot of people in the United States. Mm hmm. But that goes back to the sort of issue you were talking about before about the the call for magic as a um, substitute for failing social institutions, right? Yeah, oh, you know, or or even if if you're in a situation where you're not surrounded by failing social institutions, but you just want to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And well, and that's really what drove me to magic in the beginning as well. I think because. I had been a fairly staunch atheist for most of my life by the time I came to magic. And it was really an idea of, well, 
I don't have anything else going. I could try this. And it just happened to work. So it, it became something that very quickly turned into, well, I can do magic for things. And it grew from there. I'm, I'm curious, just um, what led you down the particular path that you ended up going on? Because, you know, as I, as I said, I'm sure plenty of people got to the point where they needed that magical edge to do what they were going to do. And a lot of them ended up a lot closer to, you know, the sort of path that I ended up on, which was very pragmatic approaches to any sort of magic, as opposed to a more focused sort of area that you ended up in, especially given how traditional what you do tends to be. So uh, I, I mostly write and talk about the traditional stuff but i really do all sorts of things oh okay um and, and i'm i'm absolutely down to mix things up uh which is which is why i'm in so many chaos magic groups because initially people were like oh yeah chaos magic we're results based we're willing to use whatever works and i was like wow that sounds like me um but then i got there and i'm like are are you guys actually doing magic i'm not sure <laughs> I'm like, like, okay, you're, you're all over your neighborhood tagging signs with spray paint, like, and <laughs> how's that working out for you? Oh, right, right. That was, that is the big issue of chaos magic in general, because they've, we, they've completely destroyed any ability to have a major or an even, even a useful definition of what magic is. And for a lot of them, that's only resulted in them then just doing the normal kind of ridiculous things they would do as a, you know, ooh, look at me, I'm a, I'm a big old counterculture type, and then just labeling it as magic. Right, and, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm down for whatever works for people. I'm not here to judge. And also magic is a spectrum. So I, you know, I tend to go towards the thaumaturgy end, which is uh, miracle working. That's what I'm looking for in my magic. But you don't always need a miracle, right? Sometimes you just need a little nudge. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, and sometimes people can just do stuff that to an outsider would look really ridiculous, but it works for them. And I'm here for it. Oh, right, right. Well, it, it does go back to the, the major criticism we had in the, you had in the beginning there, which was just results and it, it often gets forgotten about i think in and not just chaos magic but in the greater cult community so many people have sort of aestheticized and fetishized doing magic as a practice to the point that they're not even really concerned about getting results anymore they'll come up with whatever mental gymnastics they need to justify a result it's like oh well it wasn't what i wanted but it manifested in this way like well that it's it's not particularly great magic now is it yeah it's it's also weird to me when i hear people say uh oh yeah i summoned i summoned this demon and i asked it for you know great wealth or love or whatever and it and then it like talked me out of that and i'm so appreciative to that demon for you know <laughs> teaching me a lesson right there. and i'm like i'm like did you just you it's like you so, like, if you called a plumber or something and the plumber came out and, like, there's water leaking all over your floor and it's like, you know, I don't really think you need this pipe fixed. 
but here, like pay me anyway. That's what it would. That's what that sounds like to me. Look, I I just want to explain to you that your your attachment to water not being all over your floors and destroying your foundation <laughs> that that's a life lesson you need. Right. Your checks in the right. mail, oh, right? I'm I'm not. A lot of folks seem to have confused mysticism with magic, and they're they're definitely intertwined. But uh, you know, I know I know people that spend just hours and hours doing pathworkings and you know uh, all sorts of stuff, and it's not making their life any better. Uh, and you know, maybe they should try something else if they want their life to be better. Right. I think that's a, it's a pretty easy kind of a statement to make. You know, it's not, not super critical, but you're right. There's a, especially in the, in the greater magic community, there's a ridiculous amount of, um, what's the word? Spiritual bypassing, I think is the term you hear a lot where, you know, I, I remember when I first got into magic, you know, years ago now. I would ask like, Hey, I want to make this sort of thing happen. What could I possibly do? And you get the chorus of people just being like, that's just your ego telling you, you want things just be okay with how the world is like, well, then why am I doing magic? Exactly. Exactly. And, um, I just, I get a little discouraged sometimes in the magic community because I feel like there's a lot of people in the actual magic community that don't really believe in magic. Like, they they just don't they they uh they think that it's some sort of uh you know once you attain the level of like a spiritual adept you just learn to accept what you have and you don't need this and you realize that you don't need wealth or a partner or a better job because you're just at peace with yourself in the universe and um i mean that's great for them if they don't need or want any of that stuff but uh I think a lot of us are are into magic because we do have needs and are looking for ways to fill them. I, I yeah, I agree entirely. I think it really without going too deep into it, but I think you and I have discussed this before. That the fact is, most people are moderns. Most people ultimately have some sort of scientific rationalist basis for the universe. Not that you shouldn't necessarily have some of that in your life but at least as a magician it colors virtually everything they do and it turns into you know like you said where their their magic isn't very effective and they've cobbled together a very nice little uh you know support system nice little narrative in their head as to why their magic doesn't actually do anything and why they don't get results and the answer ultimately always falls back on that sort of woo-woo mysticism of like ah well i've i followed my journey i was trying to get rich and i was trying to get rid of that boil on my back and you know i've i've learned to accept both of them by doing the magic that didn't work but at any rate um magic that we could possibly all be doing you have a new book out then I do. I do. And it's very, very affordable. Uh, so it's, it's from Hadean Press, and it's called uh, Secrets, The Secrets of Helios, Exploring the Practical Uses of PGM 4, 1596 to 1715. Now, uh, this is based out of the Greek magical papyri, 
which is some really ancient magic, right? Like it's, it's contemporary with the new Testament of the Bible. So it's, it's old, right? Like if, if Jesus was a magician doing magic, he was doing this magic. Right. Uh, so I took, I took a single spell and I just completely dissected it. Uh, I got my, uh, my good friend, Corey C. Childs to do a new translation of the spell from the ancient Greek. Uh, and he's got his translator notes in there as well. Um, and then I, I describe what's actually going on in the spell according to uh, ancient philosophers of the time and drawing on uh, astrological texts of the time and things like that. And then at the end, I talk about how to do the spell, uh, which doesn't really require any materials, right? It just says in the spell, address this to the sun. So. Um, you just, you know, talk to the sun and, and say this spell and I've, I've been getting just amazing results with it. Um, and it's, it's good for blessing you. It's good for blessing other people. You can enchant an object with it. Uh, and in fact, some of the, some of the items that I sell for hundreds of dollars have been enchanted with this spell. So uh, it's you're, you're cutting your bottom line there, though, aren't you? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I really do want to make magic accessible for people, uh, and and affordable, right? So right. this booklet is, is like less than five dollars in print, less than two dollars as an EPUB. And I was I was joking with uh, with my other author friends that you know maybe if it does really well, I can buy a couple of. Um, couple of the paywalled academic articles that I use for research. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I, I, I definitely don't expect this to be, you know, supporting me, but I am a professional and my entire job has to do with magic. You know, it's not, it's not like practical occult is a side job for me. From the moment I started it, it was my full-time job. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been really successful too. I mean, I honestly I see it everywhere. It's kind of shocking how often I see it. I wasn't even actually sure it was you originally, and then I had to confirm it at one point. It's like I'm pretty sure this is Allison. I was like, wow, she must be taken off. That's good for her. But and also, I did buy the book, and I will tell everyone it's um it's incredibly it's a it's a really brisk read, but it's in, very informative. I I was incredibly impressed. Um, the the uh, first off, what made you want to get a new translation of it? So everyone is working from uh, the Betts edition of the PGM, mm -hmm. which had uh, multiple translators in it. Um, but some of some of the translations are just maybe not as spot on as they could be, but also by, by hiring a translator, I was able to, I was able to talk with Corey about some of the words. Uh, and we had, we had a lot of conversations back and forth about things. Um, and it, it really did change how I viewed the spell by seeing the new translation. So, so for example, this, this spell, it's really joyful. You know, it's, uh, it talks about um, the laughter of the sun causing the earth to flourish. Um, 
and you know the the word that they use for the procession of the celestial objects is uh, the same the same word is like a almost like a party procession so there's there's a lot of stuff going on in there and it's it's really it's a really good spell right um i was gonna say we were i think it was a couple months ago now um but we were just i was discussing some um failures that i had had magically recently with you and you sent me that one and i ended up with a nice enchanted rock afterwards being a little disparaging i suppose but it it was genuinely a very helpful spell it's it's super simple it's very straightforward it's not complicated it's definitely the sort of thing that it makes me happy that books like this are available because it's it's something i can give to people that maybe aren't particularly versed in magic at all and have them do it that has some weight to it it's not it's not just explaining like how the sigil wank works or anything, you know, or it's like, Oh well, yeah. Like here's this weird wonky thing that might work for you. This is something you can give to somebody and actually be like, this is magic. This is very old stuff. It's super simple. And if you do it, I can tell you more than likely you'll get some sort of results because you know, this is, this is the good high magic. This is the good ancient stuff. The other thing I wanted to ask why, why this particular spell? Was it just because of its simplicity? Was it because it was something that you could, you've personally used quite a bit? Well, I, I certainly have used it quite a bit. Uh, like I said, I, I do it professionally uh, to enchant certain things like the, uh, the Cairo Zodiac products that I have. Um, however, what, what led to this booklet initially was that last year I was approached to present at a con a new conference that was just starting out and it was called astromagia which is an uh it's not it, it is somewhat of an astrology conference but it's it's like the magic of the stars so it's more than just it's more than just charts if that makes sense right it's it's approaching the celestial uh spirits as well and and initially when they they reached out to me i I didn't think that I would be qualified to speak at an astrology conference because I don't really consider myself an astrologer per se, even though I do factor in things like planetary hours and, uh, you know, certain days of the week and the moon phases in some of my magic. That's very different than the sort of elections that some of my friends do where they've got incredibly expensive software that has to calculate where everything in the sky is and you know you have like 15 minutes to make something and it only happens like once every 30 years and, mm-hmm. and I uh, you know that's that's what I think of when I think about astrological magic so um so I initially declined to speak at the conference but then the organizer had a, a video call with me and talked me into it and mm. I thought uh all right well out of the out of the Greek magical papyri spells that I do, what is the most astrological of them? And I decided to go with this spell to the sun, right? So it's uh, it's the consecration of all purposes that you address to the sun. And it talks about uh, the sun having multiple forms, multiple animal forms, um, which is really fascinating. 
but so I picked, I picked something that I was familiar with doing, and then I wanted to dig more into the context of it so that I had a, a meaty presentation that was interesting for the astrologers that were going to attend. Um, and then when I looked, I, I spent months researching this and then I found out all sorts of really, really fascinating stuff about it. So I, I presented that last year at the Astromagia conference. And uh, then I decided that I had done so much research on it. I should just go forward and, and try to publish this as a guide. Oh, okay. That's, that's great, honestly. I, it's nice that something that was presented for a more, I don't know what the word I want to use for astrologers is, academic maybe. I'm not quite sure. But at any rate, it's nice that something that was initially presented for them still ended up being so accessible to the layman. I, like I said, I, if I'm pretty sure I could hand most people this book and they'd be able to come out with an understanding of this spell that would normally take a lot of, you know, well, like you said, months of research. What was the, did you find anything that surprised you about the context behind, you know, as well, you know, someone fairly steeped in it yourself already. I'm sure there's plenty of things that, were more obvious to you than the layman, but was there anything that really kind of you're like, Oh, I had no idea about that until you were studying it for this. Yeah. So it's, um, the, okay. As I mentioned before, there's uh there's animal forms. Uh, so it, you know, you're addressing the sun and it talks about, uh, these different animal forms and how they grant different boons and they all have different names. So it's like in the first hour, you have the form of a cat in the second hour, you have the form of a dog. In the third hour, you have the form of a snake, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's another spell in, that's also in the Greek magical papyri, where it talks about like in the first hour, you have this form, the second hour, you have this form. And they're totally different. These two spells are totally different. So uh, that was a question that it was kind of hanging over everyone in the uh, PGM study and practice group. Uh, which is one of my favorite groups. Uh, it's like a, you know, part academic, but also like, you know, we're all trying to do this magic. Uh, and it's a Facebook group. Um, so, so we had, that question had come up many times and no one had been able to answer that. Um, but then when I started looking into the spell, I found that there was uh, an artifact called the Cairo Zodiac or the Tabula de Rossi uh, is named after the uh, person who discovered it. Um, and it's a, it's like a, a planisphere. So it's, it's got the Zodiac on it, but then it also has an inner ring of 12 animals. And those 12 animals were the same as the animals in the spell. Oh, wow. So, so then from there, I was able to find out that there was a, a PGM era astrologer named uh, Tucer or Tucris, depending um, either Tucris of Babylon or Tucer the Babylonian, depending on who's writing about him. And uh, he'd actually explained this. So he explained that they are uh, other constellations that are in the same sector as the Zodiac. So it's, it's kind of like people have referred to it as the Egyptian Zodiac before. Okay. Um, but that's what's going on. And the reason why these 
two spells were different is because the second one starts with the Roman calendar, which starts at a different month. Right, right. So that's what was going on. And, and, uh, and for this one, when the sun rises and, and it's, uh, it's in the sign of the cat, it's rising in Aries for the summer solstice. Oh, huh. that's absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm, I've always been really interested in uh, the Greek magical papyri because it's such a mishmash of varying religious and um, what the word I'm looking for here is you know, deatific imagery and such. It's a crash course in trying to understand all the different cultures of that period. There's virtually not any sort of cultural magical background of the age that isn't represented somewhere in those works, I think. Yeah, and it can be really confusing to people in that um, a lot of this is very strongly based on Egyptian theology, but then you have... uh, you know, Helios and Hecate and, and a bunch of other very Greek deities being mentioned. And then you also have uh, a lot of a lot of Jewish uh, names and angel names and things like that in there. So there's there's really a lot of stuff going on. But, um, you know, the more I the more I look into uh, the PGM, the more Egyptian it is. And and in fact, when I was when I was researching this, I found a I found a quote uh, from Frankfurter about how this magic was probably done by Egyptian lector priests, and they they had uh, diverse congregations. That's possibly what was going on, um, and especially the uh, the PGM four, right? So so the PGM uh, just real quick is. Sometimes we talk about it as one book because it's been translated and collated into one book, but really it's a lot of different scrolls that are all over, all over the world in museums, right? And it's like a a four hundred year period of Egyptian history where uh, Egypt was under Greek and then Roman rule, which is why it's written in Greek. Because the Greeks rolled into Egypt and they were like, okay, you guys have to keep, keep track of stuff in Greek now for administrative reasons. Mm-hmm. So, so everyone had to learn how to, how to do that if they were a scribe. Um, but it's really, uh, it's really diverse, right? So, so some of the spells in the PGM have hundreds of years between them, right? Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes you see uh, people talking about it is one book written by one person, like it was a grimoire, but it's not, that's not really what's going on there. However, the, the, the PGM four, which is what this spell comes out of, it's known as the great magical papyri of Paris. And it really does seem to be like a working magician's handbook. Uh, whereas some of the other ones, um, might actually have been spells that people did, right? Like some of the some of the papyri were found rolled up with hair inside of them, right? Oh, like a spell. That's you. not that's not someone's notes. That's a spell they did. Right, right. right. And you you've broken their hearts in the afterlife now. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. But the PGM four overall seems to be, does it seem to be the work of one hand or more, at least just a specific compilation for, um, as you said in the book, um, professional uh, magic? You know, I would actually have to look at it more closely to see if all of the handwriting uh, is the same um, for for that one. Right, that right. One's, um, so I can't really weigh in on that right now, though I'm probably going to get off this call and go look that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me what your answer is, and I'll, I'll re-edit oh, it into the no. episode and be like, oh, she knew right off the top of her head. Look at her. Uh, right. <laughs> um, well... Aside from the book, obviously, you have an entire business dedicated to practical occultery. I do, I do. What, what inspired you to do that? Um, well, the, um, the path that led to me becoming a professional sorceress like this was that I, I had been in corporate America for a long time, and I expected to just ride out my days there and then retire. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, wave after wave of layoffs had just been hitting my company for years and I'd always avoided them. And, and then, and then, it, and then one time I didn't, right. So they, uh, they got my, everyone on my team got laid off at the same time. They just decommissioned the whole team. Mm. I was like, Oh, okay, well, what am I going to do now? So I, of course, immediately uh, started filling out resumes and sending them to other companies. And, and every, every resume that I sent off, I kind of cringed because I didn't want to have to put on a suit and then take a train into the city and then sit in an office for basically like nine hours and then take another train to come back. Like that, that just isn't what I wanted to do with my life. So, you know, I, I was still sending off these resumes and uh, whatnot. And then I had already been making the type of magical objects that I make for quite a while. And people knew about it because I'd been posting about my results and, and things like that on, on Facebook. And people started asking if they could buy them. And I, I was like, wow, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, because I needed money. <laughs> so. Um, then it just turned into a business. You know, I, I realized that there, this was something that people wanted. It was something I was good at. Uh, it was something that people would pay me for. Um, and it was something that, that supported the community because people were coming back to me and saying that I was, I was able to help them with the things that I gave them. Um, so I, one of, one of the things that I did business-wise that I think immediately differentiated me from other folks that do this is that I set up a really robust review system with a third party. And uh, every, every customer gets an email that says like, hey, if you, if you need customer service or tech support or if things aren't working for you, please reach out to us. Uh, and and I say us because now I have, have dedicated customer service that isn't me. Oh, wow. Which I'm very good about. <laughs> that's, um, that's amazing. I, first off, magical customer service has to be <laughs> the most interesting thing I've gotten out of an interview yet. Like, wow. 
your spell is very right, important. Right. Your spell is very important to us. Please stay on the line. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, sometimes it's like someone will get something and they'll be like, yeah, it doesn't seem to be working. I've, I've had it on my dresser for like two weeks. And I'm like, are you wearing it? Maybe put it on. <laughs> like, carry it on your person. And they're like, oh, okay. So it was, it's, all, it's all sorts of things, right? Um, but but I, I, I really want, I want people to be repeat customers. I don't, I don't want to just you know, sell them something and then have them be dissatisfied, right? I want them to be happy and I want them to come back and buy more. Yeah, of course. Uh, so. <laughs> that's, that's how a business works, right? Exactly, exactly. But like I said, uh, so I set, I set up a review system and everybody gets an email that says like, hey, if you have any problems, contact us. Or if you're happy, leave us a review. So now, now at this point, I've got several hundred five-star reviews and some of them are really, really, really detailed. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll go to some of my, uh, I don't really call them competitors because a lot of the people that do this are actually friends of mine and I fully support their businesses too, mm -hmm. okay. but I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to other people's sites and I'll see that they also have reviews, but their reviews are, are like, Oh, so-and-so is very nice or, you know, the sh it shipped quickly or things like that. And then you look at mine and it's like two paragraphs of everything in their life that's happened <laughs> since they got this. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> but they're very nice though. They have quick turnaround. <laughs> I guess we can, I, I guess it's worth it. <laughs> oh, I, it's especially in the contemporary age, I think it's hard to do magic as a profession in a weird sort of way. It's, it's very maligned, obviously. It's like, if you, you know, even your if you have a local, you know, you know, woo woo spirit shop and that someone's doing tarot readings there, most of the people going don't have a very high opinion of it. You know, they walk into the woo woo store and like, Oh, I can get a tarot reading. Cool. It's, it, it's, I wouldn't even call it a stigma so much as people just tend to find it very hokey and don't take it very seriously. So it's interesting that you could differentiate yourself in such a way. I mean, uh, also on the basis of selling, you know, what essentially amounts to, you know, for some people, you know, um, you know, just merchandise. I'm sure that you, I'm sure you've gotten people, at least a couple that don't particularly believe in magic of any kind and just got something because it looked cool. And then I don't know, hopefully they had some sort of actual um, response to it and we're like oh my god this stuff might be real maybe i really just bought an, a magic item yeah and and there's there's definitely there's definitely reviews like that where they you know said that they bought it to support me because i'm a friend or something like that or you know and and they were like oh wow <laughs> wow i did not i did not expect that so you know and i'm here for it but regarding regarding magic being somewhat maligned right now um that's maybe only uh in certain countries right so so practical occult i've already got uh customers in like more than 20 countries hmm. um now it's one of the, back to chaos magic for a sec one of the things i hear people say about why their magic isn't working is because uh consensus reality oh, is blocking God. them or something 
And, and I got to say that like, that's totally made up. Reality is not blocking your magic. Magic works fine in countries all over the world, including the United States. And, uh, a lot of countries never lost their magic. Right. So I love Thailand. I've been to Thailand a couple of times and it's just, it's fascinating because everyone is using magic. Everyone, everyone is wearing an amulet, you know, like elderly grandmas are wearing amulets, <laughs> you know, all sorts of people have magical tattoos. It's called sakiants. Um, you, you know, you walk down the street and you'll see like a food vendor with a cart and they'll have, uh, they'll have a little like, uh, bayant, which is like the, um, the same thing, only it's like a magical, like cloth that's been drawn on and, and the, it'll be to like attract customers to their little food cart. You know, I, I went to get, I went to a salon to get my nails done. They had, they had a little magic thing for attracting customers in the window. Oh, nice. It's everywhere. Nice. So, it, you know, it, regarding like magic being lined, that's, uh, that's maybe just certain people in certain countries oh I, yeah well I, I definitely meant the the western uh world and particularly you know the the anglo spheres that we were just because that's where the vast majority of our listeners are probably but and but especially because um as a as a in, as the imperial core of capitalism as it were that's really where the commercialized aspects of magic really have taken root because i know various other cultures it's still it, it's still a very common thing to have that but at least as far as well i i don't know they might have websites but i was gonna say as far as creating you know an occult website to sell things that's a very different sort of practice in a lot of ways i suppose it's not it's just a more modernized practice right yeah, I, I kind of wanted to split the difference between, um, you know, modern and and ancient, right? So, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is, um, you know, somewhere between hundreds or thousands of year old magic. But I also I will I also want to like run a real business where it's easy for people to shop. It's easy for people to get customer service. You know, they know. They know where their package is. I fulfill orders very, very quickly. And I think, I think that one of the problems with some of the other folks in the magic biz these days is that they're good at magic, but they're not necessarily good at business, right? Mm. So, you know, it's, it's really two different skills. And, you know, I've got both. But also, also I, I had to, right? Like I learned new tricks. And I'm still learning new tricks, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to uh, to learn some video editing so I can make I can make little ads and, and things like that. And I got better at photography. I I was I was all I was all ready to to hire a photographer to do product shots for me, but um, you know we had we had the pandemic, and then I just couldn't get I couldn't get help, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, well, I've got plenty of time because absolutely everything is canceled or closed. <laughs> I work from home and I'm just going to keep taking these photos and they got better. Well, that's something that God forbid we talk about in magic. And 
I guess we, we don't really have a better person to ask. So I'm going to ask you, how do, how do you get better at magic for, especially since as far as I can tell, um, the secrets of Helios is aimed at somebody that maybe has a little magical knowledge, but clearly doesn't have much knowledge on the sort of practice that you're proposing in it. But, and as someone that's so hard up on results-based magic, what, what are your steps to someone that's trying to actually improve and become a better magician? Right. So, uh, one of the ways that I've, uh, I've gotten better at magic and I've got to credit my, uh, practical occult comrade and friend, Alexander Moore, for some of this advice. Uh, he, he's the one who does divination for practical occult, uh, offers courses and also coaching to, uh, you know, coach people to get the life they want with magic. But I've known him for years and years and I was, I guess, the recipient of free coaching before he was professional at it. And some of the things that he does in his own life that he suggested that I do are what made me uh, better at this. So one of the things he does is every year he'll make a list of like 10 things at the beginning of the year. Um, so instead of a new year's resolution, he would be like 10 things that you want to accomplish. And he would go about trying to figure out how to accomplish them with magic. Um, and then also uh, practice, you know, uh, everyone gets better at things with practice, but uh, he, he suggested that I start doing magic for friends. So, you know, I just see people on Facebook that had issues or my real life friends had issues. Um, you know, people were losing their jobs and needing to get other jobs or, you know, especially something during the pandemic, I would say, uh, you know, people, people can't find housing, you know, so, so that's, that's something that people can do magic for to help their friends get housing and open, open the roads to safe housing. Uh, honestly, I, I feel like that's one of the one of the issues now that in some cities you basically need magic if you're going to find an affordable place. In some cities, nothing. In almost every city, my um, my co-host on the podcast was doing magic to get an apartment for months. It was it was a it was a slog. They finally got one a couple months ago now, but it was a uh, it's it's real tough. It's even even in fairly i don't know what the word i want to look for is in fairly in places you would think it would be fairly easy to find something it's affordable housing is incredibly hard to come by at this point it's it's a sad fact but if magic can help you with that then probably should try and get good at it yeah it could be it could be anything like people would say uh, you know, pray for us. My husband was just laid off and, you know, our savings is only going to hold out for like two months. And then I don't know how we're going to make the house payment or things like that. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm just over here, like, uh, you know, I'll pray for you, but then I actually go do a Solomonic ritual for wealth and road opening. Right. And then, um, you know, see how that, that works out. So 
I definitely recommend that people do magic for other folks because it's also, it's also very easy to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, another thing I know that folks are concerned with is, uh, lust for results. Now, I don't believe that that personally affects the type of magic I do. In fact, I've had some uh, big successes with magic where I was absolutely desperate for it to work. Um, but if that's part of your paradigm and you're worried about lust for results, if you do magic for other people, you, there's going to be more distance between you and the needs that need to be met. Great. You know, one of the, one of the things that's great about practicing this magic for other people is you don't want to wait until you have a personal situation, right? Like if you suddenly find yourself having to move and that can be, and that can be anything from like your landlord decides to sell the building or, or whatever, like, you know, you can be totally secure and then something that can happen that just takes it all away. And you don't want to be in that situation where you've got a desperate need and now you're trying to figure out how to do that magic. You know, you want to have that experience already. Oh, right. I'm, I've said it in other interviews and on the podcast before. I have, I have a, a pet term that I use for a lot of occult people online. I call them disaster magicians because they're people that the only time that you ever see them doing magic or they're ever talking about actually doing magic is when things have gone completely terrible for you. And that's, understandable that's when most of us would probably turn to magic almost immediately but on the other hand shouldn't you be doing it all the time shouldn't you be trying to improve your situation to begin with shouldn't you be attempting to you know like, like i said get good at this instead of just you know making it the hail mary if it can actually bring about these changes if it's actually going to get you out of the terrible situation you found yourself in randomly imagine what it can do when things aren't just falling apart right Exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's also one of the things that, um, you know, if you, if you ever have Alex on the show or if you listen to his other interviews, he's actually reached out to a lot of different occultists that, that he knows and kind of interviewed them uh, privately about what's making them successful. And it's that they're proactive. They're proactive with their magic. You know, they're, they're like, okay, what do I need to be good in life? You know, I need, I need money. So they're always doing prosperity magic. They're not just doing it when they need extra money. They're doing it all the time. You know, they're, they've, they've identified, they've identified what they need and they're just attending to it. Right. And, and I do that too. You know, I, uh, I, I do ongoing money magic and, um, I'm not having money problems, but I feel like, you know, if I keep doing the money magic, then I will avoid having those money problems. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to wait until, you know, there's, there's a terrible situation. I'm going to, I'm going to try to hold off those situations with magic. So for me, as a business person, I've, I've got magic that says, don't let my packages get stolen, right? Like if I'm mailing someone, I, I don't want it to get stolen out of their mailbox. You know, I've got, I've got magic that says, protect my, uh, protect me electronically, right? Like I don't want to get, I don't want someone to like fraudulently use my cards or, or anything like that, or, 
you know, uh, set up a fake Instagram with my name or whatever, like that stuff, that stuff happens to a lot of people in my community. Um, and maybe it's luck that it's not happening to me, or maybe it's the fact that I'm pro proactive and, you know, I've already petitioned spirits to watch out for it. I mean, yeah, if you're, again, you know, you, you would think if you're going to be doing magic as a business, you would be doing magic for all aspects of the business, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, I'm not, I'm not just letting things, I'm not leaving things to chance, right? I'm, and, and it's, it's funny because sometimes I feel like a, you know, the world's worst micromanager <laughs> or control freak this way. But, but honestly, like, if you can, why not? I mean, yeah, why not? Uh, you made a comment about uh, lust results back there. And I want to touch on that a little bit because working without lust of result is a really popular phrase, even outside of its source and, you know, the lemma and such. But a lot of people seem to have this idea that if you really, really want something and you're too hung up on it, you're never going to get it. I think that's also like the secret or something like that. You know, that kind of nonsense from a couple years back, or like 20 years back now, almost. Honestly, like what are there any pitfalls in magic as far as trying to do something with it in your mind? Is there anything that's like, you know, is there anything equivalent to that sort of, you know, lust oh if you you know if you think of a purple cow it won't work kind of nonsense at least that you know might actually apply to what you do or is it all hokum so so as far as like pitfalls um the only thing that i can think of offhand is i hear a lot of people talking about you know like the threefold law and if you do bad stuff it'll come back at you and and some people will be out there saying like, oh man, I, I like tried to curse someone, but then it came back on me and whatever. And, and that pitfall for me is spiritual hygiene, right? Mm -hmm. You know, let's say you're trying to curse someone. Um, do like clean up, clean up and clean yourself up spiritually. You know, if you're, if you're trying to do something bad like that, and then you, you can very easily get it on you. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's, that's one of the things like not not that I'm out there recommending or even teaching people how to curse, but, you know, as far as, as far as like pitfalls and things that I hear that that's one of those ones that, you know, it might seem to people like, this is what happened. Like, Oh, I, I tried to do something bad, but something bad happened to me. Well, sometimes that's because they weren't careful with it. Like in much the same way that working in a laboratory with poisons or toxins, right? You're, you're going to want to wear gloves and, and a mask and a respirator and things like that, because if you breathe those things, they will hurt you. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's the same for magic, but, you know, let's say if you're using a curse powder or something that you bought from a conjure worker, you might want to wash your hands afterwards with holy water. Well, you know, wash so your it's, hands in general. Like that. <laughs> no, but I, I completely agree. I think I, I think that the sort of basics like that can have a huge effect on the magic you do. And one of the reasons people are such terrible magicians now and terrible workers is 
they don't focus on these very kind of basic preliminary sort of things that we all take for granted. Um, well, and with that, I think we're going to lead into our most beloved section here on the CMN interviews, the listener questions. So we have a couple of questions from people and, you know, that want to hear from you. So how's that sound? Good? That sounds great. Yeah. Okay, cool. First off, we have, I know you feel strongly about having consistent magic results. Why do you think so many magicians are inconsistent and make excuses? And what would be your advice for them to improve? Well, we touched on improvement a little bit, but I'm not sure if we touched necessarily on uh, why so many people make terrible excuses for why they're bad at magic. Well, I also, I think there's like a lot of um, maybe spiritual confusion about things. So I've even heard things like, uh, I've suggested that folks do magic to benefit their friends. And then I've heard them say, well, I don't, I don't want to mess with their karma. Maybe it's their karma that this is happening to them and, um, you know, things like that. And I'm, I'm like, um, at this point, I actually don't care. Right. Like, like, I don't care if it was my friend's karma to be homeless in a gutter. I'm not gonna let that happen. (laughs) But, but also, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a billionaire. So if someone, if they're about to like foreclose on someone's house, I can't necessarily, you know, pony up all that money to, to fix that. Right. So, so I'm, I'm going to try to fix it with magic. Right. Right. I, I love the idea that like, oh, it's their karma that they have to you know, be working through. And it's like, well, I think the Buddha might help them anyway. The Buddha's pretty good on, you know, trying to alleviate the suffering of all beings. Just saying. Right. (laughs) But I mean, I I also think that comes from a a complete lack of greater. I don't know what the word we want to use here. Metaphysical, cosmological kind of ideas. Most people. It's one thing in chaos magic where people are very hard up on like, well, you can just use all of these as models. But there's a whole other breed of magician that just doesn't have a consistent worldview as far as what magic is and how it works. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to have like a full thesis to explain every intricate in and out of it, but having some idea of what you're actually doing would help. It would at least keep you from talking about karma in relation to, you know, just any bad situation somebody's gotten into. Right. There's definitely a big gap in the occult community with uh, some of the Eastern terms that we throw around and just misunderstanding them. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not going to say that I'm any better because uh, those aren't my traditions either. But, you know, it's it's funny that we we just throw around words that those traditions have like a hundred books to define this word. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're like, no, karma is like cause and effect. I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I, you might be simplifying a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. And part of that is the 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 consistent bleeding hand of theosophy and the Golden Dawn that has just permeated virtually every other aspect of occultism from the Western perspective. A lot of syncretism in the uh, with a hammer. Yeah, you know, I uh, I actually joke about that, uh, especially regarding the uh, the tree of life, right? Like they'll they're they're just they will fit anything into the tree of life. Uh, it's like, ooh, where does this? What sephira does this Egyptian god, you know, 
correspond to you. And I'm like, oh God, no, <laughs> please don't. But no, no, honestly, I had a, um, I had a Thelemite describe the tree of life as the universal filing cabinet to me once. And I was like, That's it's like, it's cool if you want to use it for that, I guess. But as long as you know that this is not that this ain't it chief. This was not what this was made for by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't a, isn't a good model for folks. I'm just saying that like you can't and, and definitely shouldn't take cultures that have absolutely no relation to this and try to stuff their worldview into it because there is no one size fits all. And, and, and a lot of people will get very frustrated because they'll, they'll get into the occult and they'll start reading grimoires and this and that. And then they'll say like, but wait, this grimoire says this, and this other one says something completely different. And it's like, yep, welcome to the occult. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, and, that, and that's why I like to focus on results, you know, because, uh, you know, I hear, I hear people talk about switching their paradigm and it's all about the worldview and things like that. And first I have to say, like, I actually don't believe people can switch their worldview like that. You know, I, um, I, I saw someone and, and not to call them out if they're listening, but I saw someone say that they were going to, uh, do Egyptian magic for a few months and see how it worked. And they were going to believe what the Egyptian, the ancient Egyptians believed. And I was like, Ooh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, we don't actually know, you know, I don't feel like we have, we have a good grasp on what the ancient Egyptians believed. And I keep seeing like scholars, like top academic scholars revising things uh, over time. You know, like there'll be a, a consensus in academia and then we'll discover more texts and we'll be like, oh, okay. So for, you know, for example, like some of, some of the Egyptology research was done before we had the Rosetta Stone. So mm-hmm. like that, that pre Rosetta Stone research, um, you know, that's all kind of suspect. Kinda. No, um, I'm I'm gonna go a step further and say that part of the occult community's problem, as far as understanding various other cultures, is that a vast majority of them read these old books from well, not old in the greater sense, but you know what I mean, like books from like the 1900s discussing. All of these various, you know, uh, like, oh, here's the the magic of the Egyptians and all that kind of stuff. Or like Thomas Taylor talking about the Dionysian and the Eleusinian mysteries and such. And they're just not real. They're just not. They're just stuff that stuffy armchair academics in the Western world came up with. You know, it's like anytime I hear someone talking about... um. Fraser's the golden bow in relation to magic. I just kind of cringe a little bit like, oh, oh, you, you, you don't even know. Yeah, I, I feel that way about, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, the Emerald Tablet of, of Thoth the Atlantean. And I was like, you know, anything that says the Atlantean after it is maybe not, you know, authentically <laughs> accurate. I'm just saying, I'm saying, I mean, you know, um, but to the to the greater point you were getting at about us being able to change our beliefs, I think that's anyone that knows me and my relation to chaos magic 
knows that's kind of my that's my uh that's my stalking horse right i'm very consistently against the idea that our conscience beliefs have an impact on magic as such i don't think that I, I i'm not one of those people that think that having different models means different things is happening i think it has a lot to do with how we make phenomena intelligible but it's not so much as you know like anytime anyone talks about egregores i always get a little uncomfortable because i think yeah. it's a really great metaphor i think it's a really great way to model group human behavior but when you talk about an egregore like like gods or egregores i already go off like, like that's not how any of this works that is not <laughs> you can't just get a bunch of people to believe stuff and then have it form on some sort of metaphysical plane it's if if that's how it worked we would have like you know dark brandon would be a thing right <laughs> joe biden would suddenly be on tv shooting lasers from his eyes <laughs> Okay, so another question. Someone wants to ask, how far can you bend reality through magic? Where do you believe the limits are, if any? Okay, so um, the magic that I am writing about in this pamphlet is, uh, is Hekka. Now, I, I like to refer to it as Hekka or thaumaturgy because I feel like the word magic has just gotten so diluted that nobody knows what that means. You know, um, agreed entirely. Yeah. So when we talk about Heka, as the ancient Egyptians believed in it, they believed that this is the force that created the universe and keeps it in motion, right? So, so it's capable of absolutely anything. And this Heka is, uh, you know, that their magic is harnessing that for personal use, which is what you see in the booklet that I wrote where it talks about uh, how the sun came up and, you know, caused the plants to grow and the, the animals to reproduce and things, in, you know, of that nature. But then it's carrying forward all of that momentum and bringing it into your life. So, so I, I don't think that there's any limit to magic. I just think there's limits to us. I, I dig it. I can dig it. All right. I have one more question and then we can wrap up. Sounds good. How did you find out about Corey C. Child's translation and slash or how did you two decide to work together? Uh, so I, we, we met in a Facebook group a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, we just became friends because we have common interests. Uh, and uh, he, he also presented at the Astro Media Conference. So we spent a lot of time chatting uh, on the lead up to that because we were both, you know, working on our separate presentations, um, you know, and, and uh, we both did run throughs uh, ahead of time with each other, um, you know, to just practice. Uh, and he's got, he's got a, a background in, uh, you know, ancient Greek stuff and, and classical mythology of that, which is something that I'm kind of light on. Uh, I, I spent more time researching the Egyptian end of it for my, my Greek magical papyri studies, which, you know, as, as I mentioned before, it, it might be in Greek, but it was, 
this magic originated in Egypt while it was uh, during the imperial era where it was a territory first of, of Greece and then, and then Rome. So, um, you know, and then after, after the presentation for Astromedia was done, then I, I reached out to commission a translation from him. Uh, and then, uh, because he's also a composer, I, I had him, uh, I commissioned some recordings from him, which is a really nice bonus that people can check out on my site. Because not only do we have the English translation there, so people could just go to my site and read the spell off of my site. Um, but he's also got several different musical tracks, which have him reading the spell in ancient Greek, reading the spell in English uh, with the pronunciation of the so-called barbarous names, which are the names that couldn't be translated. Um, and, uh, and there's also a, a, uh, an instrumental track in case people want music when they do this themselves. Oh, that's great. I always need more music for my rituals. Wonderful. You should also check out, uh, you should check out the spell music where he, he does the spell because it's literally magical. Oh, sweet. I will definitely be checking that out. I've already ordered a physical copy, so that'll be, um, it'll be good stuff. All right. Oh, well, here, I have one more question for you just because I, someone dropped it in while we were talking. If you could punch one random occult figure in the face, who do you want to punch? Oh, <laughs> I really shouldn't say this. Well, there is. <laughs> uh, I've, I've had. Uh, I've had a lot of beef with a couple folks. Uh, there's there's some some. Older male occultists that have just. Uh, just really don't like me and. One of them has written several hate blogs about me. Um, we've never met. They, they don't even live in the United States. Um, you know, and then there's, a, there's another one who's a competitor who also has a store that sells pentacles. And they, they just came out and publicly called me a fraud because we had a disagreement about how much astrology goes into making pentacles. <laughs> I'm like, well, wow, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm not even out here calling them a fraud because we we work with some of the same spirits, and I have talked to those spirits about this person, so I know that they do magic, and I I feel like they should also know that I do magic and I'm not a fraud, so uh, I just thought that was weird, but we uh, we kind of have like a. We all kind of have like a non-aggression thing going on right now because the last time they popped their heads up to try to publicly shoot me down, uh, I think the community like collectively beat them up over it <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> so I think they're laying low. That's great. I mean, they, they deserve it. You know, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Yeah, and I, I'm, not, I'm not out here like, you know, throwing hexes or whatever. I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to do my job and help people and just live my life. Right. Okay. And, and also here's the, here's the other thing too. Like some, some occultists have made their career on needing to be right. <laughs> and that's, and that's not me in that I can be wrong and often am wrong. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll think something about this ancient, ancient magic and then I'll, 
study more later and be like, oh, okay, that's not what was going on. Um, but if you are a person who has state who stakes your career on being right, then you can't publicly be wrong. And I think that's a really dangerous place to be in. Uh, and, and I'm glad I'm not there, right? Like I'm about results. And even if I'm wrong about something, I'm still getting the results. Yep. So kind of where I am. You and in fact, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, regarding briefly to go back to, to paradigms and worldviews and how things work, um, this spell from the secrets of Helios, uh, is based on the idea at the time that the earth was stationary and that the sun was moving around it. So, so like, you know, we know that's not true, but <laughs> at the time, that's what they believed. And that's how everything about this was written to the point where I, I was almost, I was almost believing that myself while I was, <laughs> while I was doing all this research. And I'm like, no, no, Allison, like, <laughs> Calm down. you know, it's basic just... astronomy here. Um, but, but they saw, they saw the apparent motion of the sun and they were like, oh yeah, it's clearly moving through the sky. Well, it, it's a phenomenological reality, right? You as as far as just existing on the earth if you you'd have no way of knowing unless you know you go into deep mathematical geometrical scientific research about it you know as right. far as, and, as, far and, as everyone and, knows it just goes around right so so the best you know 2000 years ago the absolute best uh, astrologers and and priests and spooky people all believed this this thing you know that the earth was stationary and that the sun was moving around us and they were all wrong, but this magic slaps. So <laughs> like, Oh, that's beautiful. I'm going to clip that so much. I was going to hear this magic. <laughs> this magic slaps every five minutes for the next month and a half. <laughs> Allison, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. It's great talking it's delightful. to you. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to have you on again. Not just to talk more crap about chaos magic, but possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd love to come back. <laughs> awesome. Well, the book is The Secrets of Helios, Unlocking the Practical Uses of PGM4. It's published by Hadian Press. Her website is practicalocult.com. You can go there for all sorts of things. I highly recommend it if you, you want to get some enchanted items that you don't have to do yourself. Or if you want to get the book, I suppose. This has been Chaos Magic News, the only media outlet personally blessed by Helios. As always, <laughs> as always, if you find yourself reading a copy of James Fraser's Golden Bow and trying to discuss magic with people, just sit down. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Chaos Magic News. We're at Twitter at Chaos Magic News. We have the website, of course, where we'll have interviews the podcast articles pretty much everything you can need from us and that's chaosmagicnews.com and allison would you like the last word now i'm good thanks <laughs> all right everyone thank you so much we'll see you next time This is CMN. Oh, and the cat goes running across immediately after I say that. <laughs> <laughs>